Hey, folks, uh, thanks for listening. This is a podcast about Catholic things. I am Eric, the uh, ambassador of common sense. And I'm Dan, the ambassador of nonsense. And today we're going to, man, we got it. I'm afraid that this is going to be like a two hour podcast. You know what? Let's just get through it. I mean, it's, okay. if it's a long one, it's a long one. That's the nice thing about podcasts. It's not like the old broadcast radio. If it's long, you go ahead and pause it when you get to work and after work, start right. listening and uh, pick up the rest of it. Right. Okay. So, um, the couple things I wanted to mention, um, one of them is, uh, I don't, we, we talk about things like those, that video I think we talked about from Planned Parenthood last week and right, some of the right. terrible things in the abortion industry and the bad things people do. But, mm-hmm. um, when someone does the opposite, I think it'd be good to give them a shout out. So here's a shout out to, uh, General Mills yep. and Cheerios. Yep. For check their, out the Cheerios commercial. We will link to it on the website. I would play it, but it's pretty much, it's all visual. It's all visual, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's music, but it's it's really a visual commercial. It's incredibly, I call it pro-life, at least pro-baby. <laughs> Whether they intend it to be or not, yeah, who knows. But, I love uh, the it commercial. Is, it's really neat. So we always, uh, we're... We always buy generic stuff. We never buy name brand, but uh, when it comes to Cheerios, we buy Cheerios. Yeah. <laughs> so buy more Cheerios and have more That's babies. Right. That's right. Okay. Uh, secondly, let's see. I don't know. I I heard this podcast from, and we'll link to this on the website from Doctor Taylor Marshall, um, and. They brought something up on a podcast that I listened to the other week that we had kind of touched on, and that is the the whole idea with the bishops talking about and going on and on about immigration, which I always thought was kind of odd because we, we grew up in a pro-life movement that was mostly run by Protestants, and it really bothered me, the fact that we the bishops wouldn't even comment on it the bishops yeah yeah it just bugged me cuz it's like i've our parents are going to jail for protesting abortion and the archbishop of cincinnati couldn't even talk about it not even a comment it, yeah they seemed uh silent i mean they they might grudgingly uh you know it it felt like anything that they did do was uh, grudging, and they they didn't uh, their hearts weren't in addressing it as an issue. Yeah, fine, all right. Abortion is wrong. Yeah, okay. Uh, the the biggest, you know, when they did talk about it, often it was in a broader context that they they would just use this kind of uh, amorphous life issues yeah term. like the seamless or, garment and yeah the seamless garment theory like and all that. that i mean they would they would insist on linking it in for example with the death penalty or with you know nuclear proliferation right. and other stupid stuff like that so um where was i why did i oh okay oh uh right. the bishops but they do want to keep talking about immigration for some reason which seems kind of odd and then i listen to this podcast now this 
this guy, his uh, podcast was a lot different from ours because um, we allude to these scandals a lot and we kind of mention them in passing, but we don't really talk about them. And he really talks about it and he goes after the information and uh, talks about it in a much deeper sense than we do. I cannot do that because it depresses me. But if you want to know more about the scandals and why they're happening, and I didn't hear his podcast until after we did ours about the Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. scandal. And um, I guess we're we're pretty much right in line here with with each other because everything that you said, uh, he more or less addressed. Okay. So that's why I trust him on this statistic. Um. It looks like the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops receives 30 to 40 percent of its annual budget from the U.S. government, from U.S. taxpayers, in the forms of grants and whatever. And most of that money is coming from uh, an immigration issue. They get paid per head of uh refugees that they take in and find homes for so yeah well wow here's the here's the clip that addresses it in 2013 the bishops received 73 million dollars for the government that came out to 32 percent of their budget so one third of the money in the pocket of the usccb comes from uncle sam you didn't know oh, that when you were paying your taxes, you were also helping one third of the budget of USCCB. 2014, wow. they received 79 million. 2015, they received 80 million from the US government. 2016, they received a big increase, $95 million from Uncle Sam in one year. That's 39% of their total budget. So their total budget is more and more dependent on the U.S. government. How are they getting this money, Timothy? Primarily through migrant and refugee services. Wow. Immigration. Wow, that is something. That is something, though. Yeah, it's... Uh, and I, I, you know, honestly, I had no idea. It it seemed weird that the bishops would, would be so... Um, I guess blind to the both the pragmatic and some of the um, uh, you know the more realistic issues of immigration, like like the reality that that you know illegal immigration is often associated with things like human trafficking and and that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, but uh, yeah, I guess this this does make it um, make a little bit more sense. I mean the, the yeah. Um, Definitely. You know, the money motive is always there. It's sad that we're even having this discussion, but it is what it yeah. is. And yeah. uh, again, um, I'm not going to I'm not going to dwell on it too much because uh, we wanted to talk about something else. Right. Right. And what we're talking about is um, when you come on dark times, I guess I mean. The way I put it to you, Danny, is is how to deal with dark times. But that's not mm-hmm. really uh, 
that's not really what this is about. It's more okay. how to think about dark times and why bad things happen. Okay. A lot. All right. All right. That's a uh, that's a uh, good. Now, when you say dark times, are you talking about personal dark times or like societal dark times? Like, I'm talking you know, about personal strategy, uh, personal tragedies. Okay. Like, okay. Right. Right. You know, because bad things that's happen, and you feel miserable. And the mm-hmm. thing is, when when everything is good, we're supposed to thank God, and when everything is bad, I. I, to me, well, if you're going to thank God for good, then you've got to blame God for bad. Um, in a sense. In a sense, or, you know, but, but there is, uh, you know, because in, you know, Job's response, right? Uh, he says, we accept good things from God, should we not also accept evil? And he maintained that, uh, that, that serenity in those times of, uh, you know, of uh, right. tragedy. The fact is, God could keep it from happening. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he doesn't. God, he right, chooses exactly. not to. So, mm-hmm. I when I say blame, I'm thinking more of the mental exercise of, God, you, you're letting this happen, and maybe there's a reason, maybe not. But um, uh, in your head, you're still thinking of it as God's fault. Although right. probably eighty percent of the time when bad things happen, it's our own fault. Right. I mean, we dig ourselves in these Usually, little holes yes, where it's true. like I can't get out unless God helps me out. That's so, true. But there are those that are not. I mean, there are you know uh, loved right. one who who you know you've become maybe emotionally dependent on in some way. Uh, you know, um, you find out has some advanced stage of cancer or something. Right. You know? things do or or sudden things you know a car crash or something um or natural disasters right like, yeah. right exactly okay so uh i'm going to start out with a story and i'm going to try to make it as short as i can but it's kind of a long story and well, that's uh, okay. danny you know some of this i don't know how much of it you know but okay. uh we'll talk about um We'll call them Mary and Jeff, who are married, okay. yep. and they have several kids, and things are, they're just, I mean, they're Catholic, but they're not like saints or anything. They just, they're normal people. And Mary, which this is a common story, has some kind of uh, medical problem, and the doctor gives her Vicodin. Mm-hmm. So it starts off. Uh, as a treatment for pain mm-hmm. and within say a couple months um, she's taking Vicodin that was not prescribed to her and right. now she's buying it on the street eventually buying Percocet and then even morphine and getting kind of whatever she could find she did draw the line at heroin she did not okay. get on heroin but mm-hmm. You know, Jeff is working two jobs, and um, every dime they make is being spent on drugs. Mm-hmm. So, um, eventually she realizes that she has a problem, and so she goes to the doctor. Now, when you, when you admit to a doctor that you're having a, a drug problem, it's kind of a big deal because you're marked after that, and... 
I don't care if oh. you've got a broken arm or whatever. You're not getting pain meds. I see. Because I people see. will break their own bones in order to get pain medication. Wow. And wow. so to go to the doctor is a big deal. But what the doctor does is put her on methadone, which okay. is uh, it's synthetic heroin. I, I personally think people would be better off going to a heroin clinic instead of a methadone clinic. Because hmm. methadone, um, and I'm sure some people in the audience know someone who's on methadone. It it makes you crazy, and it turns you into a zombie. And your whole life is still about the drug. Mm -hmm. Even though you're not, quote, abusing it, your entire world uh, revolves around getting that drug every day. And it's not like getting prescribed uh, pain meds where they say, all right, uh, every 30 days you get this refill. You have to go to a methadone clinic and they give you that day's worth, period. Every day. Wow. And then, So doctors actually prescribe this for patients? Yeah, in order to get out of uh, an opiate addiction. And is the methadone itself addicting? Uh even worse than heroin. Yeah, that that like you can't sound... just stop. It yeah, it will kill you. So you you replace one addiction for another addiction. Only, only now, this other addiction at least it's being is, monitored, right? And and managed and requiring you to uh, go to this place every single day for your daily dose. That's kind of how it works. After you've built up some trust. Because they do spot checks and, and drug mm -hmm. tests. If you've built up trust, they will start giving it to you, say, three days in advance. And then maybe a week in advance. I don't know how far in well, advance well, they'll wait go. A What's, but when, how does the end game work in this scenario? There is no end game. You mean it's like you're, you're, you're on a managed addiction for the rest of your life? There's no drawdown? No intention to... It's possible eventually... that some people... Uh, will get off it but you got to remember mary still has this medical problem that requires pain medication so okay. in her case there is no end game it's just this is what you're going to be on the rest of your life so is the methadone a pain drug as well yeah it is okay all right it replaces the other pain drugs but the the controlling of it is it 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 allows you to only get as much as you're supposed to have, so that hopefully you don't right. abuse it. But but it sounds like it doesn't leave you very functional in the no. meantime. No. Um. And in her case, um, she's a little bit of a uh, OCD, and mm -hmm. it made that a hundred times worse. And right. so, and I mean, there's like a hundred examples of how it it basically made the family life hell for everyone but right. uh one of the most typical is um sh she didn't want to go in the middle of the day to this pain clinic to get her meds mm -hmm. she felt like she had to be there when they open ah, which okay a lot of druggies do that so you'll get there at say five in the morning uh an hour before they open and there's some who have been there all night why? Uh, because they're waiting because they're dope sick and they need something. But um, 
she would get there at like it got to the point where she would get there at midnight but she had to bring the kids with her because uh they were too young to leave alone so oh wow in the middle of the night she goes to one of the worst areas in town Mm -hmm. and sits outside in the car at midnight okay everybody's gonna sleep in the car so that mom can get her daily dose Um, right it it was just bad for everyone um and then one day out of the blue she says uh i have to get off this and Mm -hmm. there's nothing external that made her say this it was just um it was just the feeling that you have to get off this. Mm-hmm. So she went to the doctor. The doctor said, okay, well, looking at a month or two. And she says, no, we're looking at a week or two. And he says, no, you can't do that. And she finally it got him be- to agree to a certain within schedule. two weeks. Yeah, I think okay. two weeks was the time they were going to give her. And So the doctor's concern was that if she draws down too fast, it's physically damaging. Right because of how potently addictive this methadone is. Right. Okay. And so they went through the two-week period, and she went through hell, and I it mm-hmm. was probably a good month before she was free of being dope sick. But mm-hmm. uh, she got off it. Uh, out okay. of the blue, this feeling came to her that she had to do it, you so she did it. it. Yeah. And, um, you know... I would see those for the following two months. I would see her and her husband together. I have never seen that man happier in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's a word for that. Uh, the pink cloud is those when you get over an addiction for the first couple months, you're just you're suddenly happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. And your yeah. world isn't about drugs anymore. And it goes away. But. Uh, for a couple months, it's really a good feeling. And uh, it wasn't just for her, but for her husband and, and her kids as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, two months later, daughter's sick, takes her to the doctor. Doctor's kind of like, ah, she's probably just sick. But uh, Mary's not convinced. Right. And she's getting pushy the way mothers will. Yeah. Um. And she's pushing and pushing until finally they run some tests and say, whoops, she's got leukemia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's it's kind of advanced, but we still might be able to beat this. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the next two years, they practically live at the hospital. Right, right. And he still has to work two jobs. Now more than ever, because he can't lose that insurance. Right. Um, and it, I, you can imagine taking your family and suddenly uh, now, and they've still got young children. So, yeah, there's other kids too in this family. The, and, she, the daughter's uh, not the only one. But everybody is all about this now. And uh, I guess it, it, it was hell for him again. Mm-hmm. After getting off methadone and everything's calmed down, suddenly it's a whole different kind of hell. Right, um, right. I guess my point in telling you all that is that you can see the hand of God 
in getting her off the methadone. Right, right. Because it's almost like God or, you know, maybe even working through her guardian angel, you know, that, but it's almost like God uh, prompted her to make this decision and to, and to, to follow through with it. I mean, cause you know, it, it had to take grace to follow through with that grace. and, and, uh, and suffer through that initial withdrawal just so that she would be prepared for this next tragedy that's going to hit. Yeah. And I guess if, if you're in a situation like that, you could say, okay, um, you got me off the methadone so that I could deal. Why didn't you just maybe get me off the methadone and uh, not not have cancer? You know, uh, right, right. Wouldn't that have been better? Right. I mean, yeah. If you can see God warning someone or case, preparing right. someone for something, then why not just go all the way and make this terrible thing not happen? Mm-hmm. Um. And how can you help, I mean, in Mary's position here, how can you help not feeling that way deeply about the situation? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, you, you would have to. Um, mm-hmm. you, you'd have to blame God in that situation. In your head, that's, I mean, but um, right. the misery they were in, I think, did nothing for them. At the same time, uh, there were several fundraisers, and the entire church that they attended came together for things like spaghetti dinners and, and just mm-hmm. donated right. all the money to them. Um, right. The entire – well, there there was a uh, like a walkathon. The entire city that they lived in, this small piece of a city anyway, a neighborhood more like, uh, mm-hmm. got involved and and raised a bunch of money that way. Um, and then of course there's the fact that, um, again, they're, they're not like saints. They're just regular people who they happen to be Catholic and they try to live their faith. They're Mm -hmm. not perfect at it, but see, um, I think, I think you would have a much harder time living your faith with all that bad happening. Yeah. Yeah. But they did continue to live their faith. And they continue to just try generally to be good, caring people. And uh, Jeff, the husband, uh, probably one of the nicest guys I know. Mm-hmm. I I never see him like I never see him mean to people. Right. He, right. Um, and as much as he's got on his plate, I don't know. I I think I would fold up and. Uh, I don't know. I I would have a mental breakdown. I wouldn't have been able to go through everything he went through over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he seems to not only have gone through it, it didn't make him... Uh, Bitter in any way or, right. or he's, anything like that. No, no, right. He's one of those people, if you're having a bad day and you get a chance to talk to him, your day's a little bit better now. Mm-hmm. He just makes you feel good about things, and yeah. uh, I'm not that way at all. I'm kind of the opposite. Like if you're having a good day and you talk to me, um, you're going to feel a little bit worse about life when we're done. <laughs> I just, I'm just a pessimist, 
And he's not an optimist necessarily. It's just his general personality is to, mm-hmm. uh, the way he, his demeanor and everything just makes you feel good. Yeah. And yeah. I guess my point here is that I don't think they'll ever look at those. I, I would say all of this happened in a span of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they'll ever look at that time and think and be able to say good came from this. Yeah, yeah. At least not any recognizable good that that they're going to point to in in this you know in any kind of worldly sense. Right. Um. Right. Right. And I guess it's one of those deals where if if you are a source of light for people, uh, you don't really see the light yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, so that's a good point. All the people that they don't know that they helped. Just by their example, mm-hmm. um, it is probably it is possibly the only reason they went through that to help those other people. And I think when we go through dark times, we're always looking for reasons, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we never find reasons, even though the reasons are there. Right, because it's not necessarily the reasons that we like to think about. We, you know, we, we suffer some kind of tragedy, but, oh, there must be a reason. And what do we actually mean by that? We mean something very selfish. We yeah. Mean, oh, the universe owes me back for this or God owes me back for this. What's the payoff? And I'm going to benefit somehow in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they, you know, well, it's a test. Um, I never really accepted those answers that the, the test is, I, I don't know. I, I mean, no, exactly. I guess God well, does you know. test you. I know that, but well, yeah, I mean, He allows you to be tested. Um, yeah, even I mean, with Job, He didn't test him; He allowed Satan to test right. him. Right, and and the thing is, He never told Job what was going on. You know, he, yeah. he never gave Job the the cosmic behind the scenes explanation. He said, "Who are you to ask me why this is happening?" Yeah. You know, he chided Job for even asking. So I guess, you know what? That took less time than I thought it would. Um, but i that's really my only point is sometimes there is no reason in these really dark times. And i all I can say is you got to decide. Um, you got to decide if you're going to be a light to other people or not. If you are a light to other people, there can be some reasoning behind it, or there can be some good coming out of it. If right. you don't, right. if you don't stay lit, um, then it's just tragedy, and that's all it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. And you might not always know, because again, they look back on those years and they see it as tragic, and they probably don't see much more than that. Uh, right. Right. But to this day, when bad things happen to me, I will, I'll get into that selfish mode where I'm saying, poor me. But, uh, eventually I will catch myself. And, uh, usually it's, I'm looking at someone else's situation and thinking, I'm being kind of petty here. Uh, mm-hmm. at least I'm not Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that a lot. And I, I don't, it actually does help me to not be such, so bitter to the people around Mm -hmm. me. And that's all I got.
Well, that's, uh, that's, yeah, I didn't even know you were going to go, uh, in that direction with it, with the, uh, topic, but, um, yeah. So okay, now, okay, I'm going to, um, cut for a minute here. This next part you might want to delete anyway, cause I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. But so have you personally gone through some like really dark times where you're in a bad mental state and, and you know, you need something more than just your own sense of perseverance to to get through. I and the reason I'm asking is because I've never been in that kind of state myself. I've I I have lived what I feel is a I don't know what you could call it, a fairly protected life and maybe it's because internally I'm I'm, you know, maybe my guardian angel or god whoever, you know, realizes that I'm actually maybe pretty weak internally and so maybe couldn't handle some of the pressures that other people have had to go through like Jeff. Yeah. Um so I've never I've never had to deal with like if somebody was saying, "Man, I'm I'm having some real trouble. I'm trying to figure out, you know, is it worth it? Why should I even keep going on? Why shouldn't I just end it all?" You know, they they get to that state of darkness. I don't have advice for people because I've never been there. I I have been there, but the things that took me there were... That's why I say uh, that people like Jeff are a light for other people. Because when I think about the hard times that brought me to that point where I start to question my my belief in God and and whether or not I want to continue as a believer or mm-hmm. maybe just ends everything for real with, with uh, a bunch of pills or something. When I think of what brought me to that point, it's so much less than what other people have had to go through. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I have felt that way. Um, so, so your experience, your own, uh, the really dark, um, when I say dark in this sense, I, I mean, you know, the the temptation to sort of turn to total darkness. Uh, the the few experiences you might have had in retrospect, now that you think of them, seem seem like they're um, maybe Mouse. rather petty yeah. compared to, you know, things that other people have simply endured. Yeah. And um, when I got to the point where I had to really make the decision to not end things um, where I got, when I got to the point where I wanted to turn from God because I thought God was giving me too much. Mm -hmm. I always thought about um, something that had nothing to do with hardship. It was uh, when Jesus was talking about the Eucharist Mm -hmm. and telling people that um, telling people that they were going to eat his body and everybody left. And he right. turned to the apostles and says, are you going to leave too? And their response is, where would we go? Oh, right, right. That's I kind of always point. came to that because it's, all right, let's say I reject God. Well, well what else what? is there? Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's You, and, you get to that um, that place of, of where that's where everything that you do is lived out as in that context of, uh, you know, being surrounded by God. Well, if you reject that, what's left? 
there's nothing how could left. you right right i mean absolutely nothing i if i don't have that then it is suicide yeah yeah and you know in fact that's i i guess that's that's maybe also an important thing um for anybody you know who's you know got families and and starting to raise young children and so on and so forth to try to develop just within your households and in your families that sense of the omnipresence of god that that creates just the knowledge of god being there uh as a certain knowledge not a speculative belief not as a thing that oh yeah some people believe this some people believe that here's what we believe but as a reality and to enculturate that in children growing up so that that's the one thing that they can always depend on and lean on and belong to right yeah i think that's important because if you don't have that if god is just a theory um yeah well again i don't see how some people survive with that right because i don't care who you are you have problems Mm -hmm. and if if you don't have god at the end of this then uh I, well, I, I mean, people do commit suicide and people kill themselves and people uh, go on suicide bombing missions. But, I, you know, I think that's where it leads yeah. without God. All right. Okay. Well, we that's a uh, good current discussion events. of the topic. Right. Um, yeah. You, so, gosh, a lot of stuff in the, the last week here uh, yeah. with just within the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, so the bishops had the the, the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops had their meeting. Uh, one of the big topics of the meeting was going to be that they uh, were going to come up with a new set of rules and standards uh, and procedures and policies and so forth for dealing with accusations of misconduct, specifically against bishops. Yeah. So, you know, back in, in uh, what was it, 2002, they did their big meeting in Dallas. They came out with the Dallas Accords or whatever they called it. Um, and it had to do with, you know, how to process accusations and complaints within the church, primarily those directed at priests and how the bishops would handle them in a way that, that uh, you know, it, acknowledged the reality of the possibility that you know that the victims are real victims and something bad is going on but at the same time you know protecting the uh the good image of the priest in cases that you know where they may be just um uh kind of like malicious accusations with no foundation and stuff like that i mean and, and those kinds of things do happen um but as it turns out, and as uh, people have learned over the last uh, year, basically, they, that they only addressed part of the problem because uh, those didn't involve any procedures for how to handle uh, wrongdoing by the bishops themselves. And so you've got yeah. the bishops investigating it's a big the bishops. Burger. Yeah, right. So what's uh, so now? Presumably, they were going to propose these, and then kind of at the 11th hour so so just to give people context what would have happened is they would have come up with a resolution that said okay here's how we would handle these things internally the resolution that they were talking about the the you know the kind of the main 
cohesion that was come to get, coming together was going to involve uh, boards of uh, Catholic lay people who would perform an initial investigation of certain kinds of allegations um, and who would review them and come up with a determination of credibility and then forward those on to somebody who could take it to the papal nuncio of you know whatever but the thing is this this plan once they had put it together and then as a body they would vote on it and then they would send it to the vatican and the vatican would review it and and the Vatican would decide, oh, hey, yeah, this is a good plan. We approve it. Go ahead and go forward with it. Or no, it's got these problems. You need to address these. At the 11th hour, the Vatican instructed the Conference of Bishops in America to not even vote on a resolution. Right. Pope even Francis though, specifically. Even, yeah, Pope Francis specifically. Even though the resolution from the vote, it would have gone straight to the Vatican for review, Pope Francis said, don't even vote on it. Yeah. So that was puzzling for a lot of people. Now, I think it's a little bit less puzzling now because it has since come out. So the main, the main proposition was going to be one that involved a lay uh, board. And, you know, that has some concerns if you think of lay people as opening it up to just kind of all kinds of, of modern social experts who may be in favor of various, you know, the, the ongoing um, attacks against the church's teachings, say, on sexuality or something like that. But that really wasn't the intention. The intention was that these are lay people who are really involved with the church. Uh, probably a lot of them would have uh, degrees from Catholic universities. This yeah. uh, Dr. Uh, Taylor Marshall would be an example of somebody who could be on such a board. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 you know, that was kind of the one plan. Well, so what happened with, you know, kind of alongside the Vatican's eleventh hour, uh, don't vote on that uh, command. Uh, we also have. Um, a counter proposal um, being brought in by this um, who is a cardinal uh, is he a cardinal uh, Cupich same guy he's the yeah. same guy who in responding to um, some of these allegations against you know the Pope regarding you know what he knew or didn't know about McCarrick and stuff he's the same guy that said hey, we don't have time to keep talking about this. We've got to get on to talking about the environment and important stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is that guy, okay? So that guy brings this counter-proposal, and this counter-proposal, and and this is, you know, we should actually take a moment and explain this because I think a lot of even Catholics, even very involved Catholics, maybe don't understand this. So everybody knows that the church... Um, the, the Roman rite of the church is divided into geographical areas known as dioceses. And each diocese has a bishop who is the head of that diocese. I mean, it's in terms of juridical um, authority, it pretty much goes from the bishop to the Vatican. You know, the, within the diocese yeah, to the right. bishop, bishop to the Vatican. Now, in terms of certain maybe administrative aspects very very weak on the juridical aspects but but there is a reality 
a a idea of what's called a um, a metropolitan bishop. And the way it works is this: the the uh, it, and it's kind of this way all over the world, but it's easy to talk about it within the United States because in the United States, um, most of the time. One of the, the, the areas covered by a metropolitan diocese is either the, the whole state that that diocese is in. The arch, it's really an archdiocese. And this is really what an archdiocese is. It's not just a diocese of a big city, but it's a metropolitan diocese. So it covers usually the state that that diocese is in, sometimes just a large part of the state. Sometimes it can cover multiple states, especially in the smaller New England states and so forth. Yeah. But but what it is is that, for example, Indiana itself, I think, has four, I can't remember if it's three or four, but, but, but separate dioceses. It's got um, uh, Fort Wayne. Uh, it's got Indianapolis, of course. It's uh, there's one down in Evansville, and that's and, and a couple of I think maybe it's got five dioceses. But the whole state of Indiana is one metropolitan area covered by I think the archdiocese of Indianapolis. Okay. So, so that so Indianapolis. That bishop of Indianapolis is the archbishop because he's also the bishop over the entire metropolitan area, which is defined by the state of Indiana. So does he, he have authority over the other bishops? Not really. The, the, okay. Like I said, it's, it's more a kind of administrative thing. It's, it's there, I, I, Possibly you know, I have, a money flow thing? I don't know if, if it's even a money flow thing. It's and and I'll get into that a little bit. So the the you know the his authority is defined in canon law, and these other dioceses that are part of his metropolitan area but are not part of his archdiocese, like I think the diocese of Fort Wayne, the diocese of Evansville, and so forth, are what are called suffragan dioceses uh, in relation to the archdiocese of Indianapolis. Okay. So you've got the archbishop and then the bishops of his, of the diocese that are part of his metropolitan area are called suffragan bishops, S-U-F-F-R-A-G-A-N, in case anybody wants to go look up uh, what that means. Okay. So so this counterproposal by uh, Cupich that was brought has this idea that if some kind of um, accusation is made against one of the bishops, if, if he is a suffragan bishop, it would be investigated and disposed by um, competent authorities under the office of the archbishop. And if it's brought against the archbishop himself, then it would be the suffragan bishops who put together and constitute a competent uh, investigative authority um, to look into those accusations. Okay. So it was still basically it. It, it said, it okay, rather than letting lay strong. people, what's that? It wasn't very strong. Well, here's I mean, the thing. Got... There's, it, it, it was less strong in the sense that it said, okay, instead of letting lay people actually come in and look into this stuff, let's still keep it within the bishops. We'll just allow some bishops, you know, we'll trade off which bishop investigates according to who's being accused. Yeah. 
So that's, that's the one thing. The other thing, though, is this. In order to do this, because the roles and the authorities of the, the metropolitan bishop with regards to his, the, the suffragan bishops in the, you know, the nearby diocese is defined in canon law, they can't just do this. Uh, it's not because it, it, it requires an acknowledgement and a enforcement of juridical authorities that are now going to be different of bishops against each other or over each other in you know across diocese bounds so it has so, to have the approval of the vatican to change something like that not only approval of the vatican it requires rewriting part of canon law i see so it almost require a whole uh um I hate this. I get stuck on words sometimes. <laughs> uh, like a restructuring uh, a big meeting. of the authority. So, oh, yeah, it would require a big meeting. Yeah, like a synod. Um, yeah, not even a synod, okay. but uh, oh, like a uh, like another like a Vatican meeting, like yeah. a, a council, a, a council, council of it would or something. Might even require a council meeting. Well, and that's the point because where the first plan with the lay boards could be implemented within the United States by each bishop within his diocese according to a plan that's agreed to by all the bishops. Uh, and it and as a plan, it would only affect the United States. The Cupich plan would affect the entire world because it redefines, it would involve redefining the authorities of metropolitan bishops yeah. and in some sense represent a little bit of a, uh, you know, an increase of power. You can think of it as a power grab by metropolitan bishops. Right. So... So here's the thing. Um, this 11th hour command by Pope Francis not to vote on any plan corresponded with this release of this proposal by Cupich, which was also worked on by uh, uh, Whirl uh, of D.C. And here's the other thing. It has since come out that these two had delivered their plan and had been discussing their plan with Vatican officials for weeks prior to this meeting. Hmm. So it just looks a little bit uh, schemish. Yeah. For yeah. the Pope, at, at having had this in hand, to then go to the uh, USCCB and say, "Hey, wait a minute, guys, don't vote on anything." Um, so I'm, you know, that's it. It just seems to me like uh, people good. should be scratching their heads about that, right? Yeah. Right. It's you know what'll come of it eventually. Who knows? I mean, the you know if if there really is a change of canon law, then that is the law of the church. Uh, whatever comes out of that, um, you know, the church continues to be guided by the Holy Spirit and at least protected from teaching error by the Holy Spirit. None of that's going to change. Um, but it, it kind of shows that, um, you know, we, we think of, uh, we have come to think of the church as being largely this uh, sort of, you know, kind of a, a, a well-honed machinery. It's moving along. It does its things. Individual bishops are... Um, you know, we, we've talked about how how weak they seem to be when it comes to actually proclaiming the the truth of 
of uh, those right. teachings that that are really needed in today's world and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think this movement is showing us that there is, um, you know, some uh, some politics involved within the church uh, that are every bit as dramatic as as some of the politics that you might read about from the Middle Ages. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of you know we went to, with Pope John Paul II during his reign. Um, I I remember reading some of the church history and thinking we're living in kind of a boring time right now. Mm-hmm. And I think during that time things were just kind of bubbling, and yeah. it wasn't boring. It was just it hadn't been noticed yet. <laughs> Right, right, right. And, of course, it would be nice if it had really just been boring because, you right. know, it's, it's a Chinese curse made you live in interesting times. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, so, so they've done that. They were told by the Vatican you can't vote on any kind of policy to address misbehaviors of bishops, especially related to sexual abuse. It's kind of, you know... You, I thought you, he asked them to do it as opposed to told them to do it. No, he commanded them... It. Right, he, he ordered them not to do it. So it was an order. Yeah, and, and it was out of obedience that, that they had to not actually... But they could they could take like a non, non-binding non vote just to see where everybody stands and that kind of stuff, but they couldn't actually yeah. produce a resolution. Huh. So... So then there was this other resolution that was not a new, you know, set of procedures. It was just a resolution to send to the Vatican to say, hey, you know, this whole McCarrick thing, you've taken it on yourselves to do a documentary investigation. Uh, We haven't heard anything from that. And I know you told us that you would, you know, tell us when you were finished. But this is just a resolution saying we're still here. We're still interested. We want to know as soon as you have anything. We'd like to, you know. Um, start moving towards, you know, some understanding of this and, and where, you know, where it might lead in terms of, of how we can help, you know, build a better church with ourselves. Right. Um, well, that was uh, voted down. Uh, bishops, I don't know whether uh, they were afraid uh, that it would sound too accusatorial towards the Vatican um, or whether there were certain bishops who maybe, you know, if, if the Vatican's doing a true thorough documentary investigation, you know, of, of everything about who knew what, when, maybe there are certain bishops out there who are, you know, uh, really dreading this, this investigation. Uh, two thirds of them out, from what I know? hear. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the, so there's that. So, you know, they could have shown a little bit of, um, you know, of, of spine and, actually passed this resolution and said, yeah, we really do want to know about this. We need to cleanse ourselves of bishops like McCarrick. And, and, and to do that, we need to cleanse ourselves of the kinds of things that allowed McCarrick to keep operating the way he did all this time. And, um, that's not going to happen. So they didn't want that. However, they did, uh, the one safe thing that they could do. And they passed a, uh, a resolution, uh, a pastoral letter is what it really was that they approved on racism, uh, saying, hey, racism's bad. 
Wow. Um, <laughs> that's that. news. You know, that's because <laughs> um, none of us knew that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That it's Jeez. really guys. <laughs> so um, apparently, uh, you know, now it's official. The American bishops say, "Hey, ra- racism is uh, unacceptable." No, but there's a little bit more to it than that. So they uh, they have this. Um, Oh, this letter that's going out and the letter is concerning itself with what they call, um, I don't know, institutional racism or, uh, systematic, systemic racism. Uh, they're, they're, they're starting to sound a lot like, uh, like affirmative action type of stuff. it, It is, isn't it? Uh, okay. So here's Catholic culture. Uh, dot org uh, and you can find it's no matter where you go it's the same they they have the same facts the about same this okay. okay the uh the letter's name is um open wide our hearts u.s bishops issue pastoral letter uh open wide our hearts the enduring call to love is the name of the letter um so uh. <laughs> yeah exactly right so here's uh okay here's here's the one from america it's the jesuit magazine that that liked uh misquote you know misquoting or misconstruing the pope's comments uh meeting this week in baltimore voted overwhelmingly today to adopt and promulgate a new pastoral letter on racism the first since uh 1979 uh, it condemns the rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim sentiment, and xenophobia. So, here's for example, you know, I, I don't, I haven't read the letter. I'm, I, you know, I need to go do that, and I'll uh, probably prepare some commentary on it. But just taking this um, as an example of of some of the um, the poor thought. Um, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Rhetoric, uh, maybe? The the poor rigor of thought that okay. seems to be behind so much of what the American bishops do. Uh, and again, this is I'm assuming that the magazines, you know, accurately representing it. But right. anti-Muslim sentiment. Okay, so what is anti-Muslim? What if I say anti-Muslim sentiment? What would you th- if I ask you? Are you anti-Muslim? I what would you say? Am. I would say I'm I'm anti-Muslim. I mean, I, is, Islam is a evil religion. It's a yeah. false religion, and it's a religion that has, uh, fr- from its very inception, has called on its adherents to persecute people into conformance. It's yeah. also a uh, imperialist, uh, a militantly imperialist religion. I am anti-Muslim. Every yeah. Catholic should be anti-Muslim. Every Christian should be anti-Muslim. Is there is is there a uh, element of race to this religion that I wasn't aware of? To the religion of Islam, right? Oh, like like maybe uh, no, no. You, you why is a, a, a letter, letter about racism message. have I, got anything to do with? Muslims? Well, I, I'll tell you why. It's because it's it's not like, and this is where I think. In doing this, they give up a lot of rigor of thought. But what happens is they get together and they say, oh, let's do a, a letter on racism. 
and you know somebody goes maybe and drafts the letter uh which has you know a bunch of paragraphs every individual paragraph is debated possibly amended and voted on and each paragraph individually i think has to be you know voted on by so many bishops and approved in Mm -hmm. order to be included in the whole thing which is then also voted on as a whole and approved so what happens is some bishop says oh hey i'm you know, while we're debating there, we should also say that, that anti-Semitism and anti-Muslimism is wrong. I don't, I don't even think that's a word. Anti-Muslimism? I've never yeah, heard I don't that know word. What you call it. So anyway, so that's how these kinds of things get in there. And that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, procedurally at least, that's why they get in there. So then it, it talks about other topics like police brutality, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. What? As though that has anything to do well, you know about the water crisis where the, yeah, the, but they were hiding the results of lead in the waters or whatever. Were they trying um, to kill black people black by people? doing this or something? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, what does that have to do with racism? I don't know. Um, okay. So, yeah, here, here's, I, here's the quote that I uh, had intended to read. Okay, so they've got this letter. Uh, the letter aims, and this is uh, a quote uh, on Catholic News Agency, to combat the scourge of racism in the hearts and minds of the faithful in our own church communities and in the structure of society. Uh, according to Bishop Shelton Fabra of Huma Thibodeau, Chair of the U.S. Bishops Ad Hoc Committee on Racism, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, here's an example. The letter follows several years of racial tensions in the U.S., and this is this is the reporting by the Catholic News Agency, not the bishops. Follows several years of racial tension in the U.S., sparked by incidents including police shootings of African-American men that prompted major protests in Ferguson, Montana, and Baltimore, oh among gosh. other parts of the country. And then here's this little paragraph in the news report. The Trump administration has engaged in strong rhetoric against undocumented immigrants and has issued stronger policies against undocumented immigrants at the border. Okay, set the letter aside and and look at the news reporting. What does that have to do with a letter about racism? Right. Uh, You know, okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. These people are... Are in uh, these people are kind of um, they're supposed to be leading us to heaven. I mean, and instead they're following. They're so incompetent. I I don't understand how. I mean, there's there's ignorance and not, but not just ignorance displayed here. There's. Just mm-hmm. flat-out stupidity. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I don't and know what other word for it. There's also, uh, you know, I don't know how the, they, if this is where, you know, this, again, lack of rigor in thinking, they want to just grab onto, it's almost like they're millennial in their thing. It's almost like they're following yeah. the lead of millennials. Let me read you this paragraph. This is a quote from the document itself. Every racist act... Every such comment, every joke, every disparaging look as a reaction to the color of skin, ethnicity, or place of origin is a failure to acknowledge another person as a brother or sister created in the image of God. Now, first of all, the statement itself is patently false as a statement. 
But second of all, by by jumping on to all of the just natural, normal human things we do, uh, I'll give you another kind of like a, a parallel example. I've heard, for example, people say, uh, you know, they're talking about the problem of how women are treated and, and, and objectivized and undervalued in society and, and how it leads to violence against women and to sexual harassment and, and a rape culture and stuff like that. And, and the same people who talk about this um, might say something like, yeah, how many times has, you know, a woman been catcalled, you know, by a passerby or something like that, as though that's even remotely on the same level. Right. When you try to loot, you know, group those things together, you undercut your credibility in trying to call out what may be a real problem. If yeah. you're the kind of person who sees a cat call as sexual harassment, especially societal systemic sexual harassment, then you go and try to say, hey, we've got a problem we need to solve. Well, guess what? You don't get taken seriously because in your yeah. mind, you're trying to solve the problem of cat calls. Yeah. Well, it's, I think yeah. the bishops are doing that kind of thing with this kind of, you know, rhetoric in, in, in these pastoral letters like this. They, you know, there is a real sin of racism and it, it has to do with a fundamental philosophical belief that people of different races have different standings with regards to human dignity and with regards to, uh, you know, God's favor and the availability of salvation and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, the jokes, which, you know, often as not, the racial jokes are really more ethnic jokes than racial jokes. Um, or the, uh, the fact that, hey, you know, let's, let's face it, in, depending on which society you're in, you will become used to being wary of people of a certain skin color just as a natural response, just as a survivalist response to growing up in that area. Um, and, and then saying, oh, because you have that response or because you told that ethnic joke, you're failing to acknowledge another person as created in the image of God. That's balderdash. You know, why do they have to, to do this kind of stuff and undercut their own credibility? And yet, uh, you know, in today's world, that was the safe thing to approve because people today don't actually think. They just read and feel. I tell you what, more and more, uh, I am disgusted by safety. And people mm -hmm. who say things that are safe and never say anything unsafe, it really bothers me. Yeah. It's just, don't be such a coward. Right, right. You know, I, I, I'm going to share something that I haven't told you. Um, so when my wife, you know, my wife, you know, is a convert. Yeah. And she became Catholic, um, I think about a week before we got married. Um, she officially became Catholic, was confirmed at uh, uh -huh. Old St. Mary's Church. And so she's in the military. So we got married and then she was um, uh, stationed down in Georgia. So we went down there. 
And, of course, she's kind of excited about being Catholic, and she would meet people who are, oh, oh, you're Catholic? I just became Catholic, you know, and kind of like excited stuff. But uh, she would talk to these people, and she found out that so many of these women uh, would say, oh, you know, that old thing about birth control, that doesn't apply anymore. The Pope changed that. You can use birth control now. Now, this is is back, you know, this is still during the uh, pontificate of, of John Paul II. Right. So the thing is this, uh, what she, you know, the image that she was getting very consistently, no matter who she talked to, it seemed other than me. It's like, it, it was almost like, like our family was the one family out of all the Catholics who actually believed what she knew the Catholic church taught because, you know, I could show it to her in black and white and stuff like yeah. that. And so what she, she kind of developed a crisis of faith, the, um, because what her image was becoming was, okay, here's a church that has an official belief in something that officially teaches something, but nobody in the church is actually teaching it. Like it's a because, secret or something. Well, yeah, because I've got all these friends who clearly believe that, for example, uh, artificial contraception is perfectly fine uh, within marriage, and yet we've been going to Mass together how long, and I've never heard a priest say that this is a problem. Yeah. Not one priest. And not even mention it. So right. sh- she was having a hard time understanding how the Church of Christ could be one that was so weak in proclaiming its own teachings. And, you know, she, like I said, it was, it was kind of an early It'd crisis. It'd be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. So I, it, it kind of providentially, um, I talked to our local priest about it and, and when I even kind of put it to him that way, he even got a little bit, um, I mean, he admitted to me that he was, you know, he felt a little bit attacked, like he wasn't doing his job. Well, you, or, you know, which in a sense he wasn't, but he said, look, there's a guy coming, he's doing one of these missions. I don't know if you've, you've seen, I've only seen a couple of missions where like a, a traveling priest comes around to a parish and spends three or four nights giving a, a big speech to yeah. everybody. Kind of, I've know. never been to any of those. So this, this guy, Father Daniel McCaffrey, uh, was coming to do this mission and father uh the father down in georgia said hey I, I want you to go talk to this guy i think you'll benefit from talking to him so we went and talked to him we kind of explained to him and he said oh yeah the reason that you don't hear priests preaching about it is because if they do the money walks yep and in fact this this priest father mccaffrey he said this is actually my last mission circuit he said after this i'm going to go work full-time for the paul the sixth institute which is dedicated to promoting the teachings of Humanae Vitae within the church. So, well, you, know, you know, he could see I'll it. i tell you what. Um, I never hear any priest in Cincinnati talk about it, except, and I, I have not been to every single Mass, so sure. there's probably plenty who do, mm-hmm. and I don't want to... Uh, say anything bad here about priests in Cincinnati, but I I never hear it except mm-hmm. for St. Lawrence, which is yep. in a, a pretty poor area, a very poor area. Yeah. Um, and it, even though it's a giant church 
uh, Father Watkins, uh, I, he says he something pull, about... He doesn't pull punches on anything. No. He yeah. says something about contraception almost every other Mass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, his, is his church crowded. Yeah, it is. I mean... And people are traveling to come to his Masses. Yeah, people who move out of the neighborhood and say, go, you know, uh, an hour away will still come back to his mass. Mm-hmm. Of course, the uh, the twenty minute mass doesn't. That kind of uh, help. What do we call it? The microwave mass. Yeah, they used to call that. <laughs> they had Westerhoff there, and they called him Chet the Jet. Chet, that's right, that's right. And then it, uh, Watkins <clears throat> took over. He does just, but but you know, it's not just that mass though. No, it. Well, the thing is, it. Okay, it's not just the mass, but the thing is. His masses are short, not because he rushes. It's because he doesn't do rigmarole. Yeah. That so many other parishes do. You know, he, he gets about the business of the mass. Right. And you wouldn't... The, the thing is, I've seen other mass. Well, uh, you referred to them once as underwater masses. Oh, right. And I've been to an awful lot of them, especially at uh, in Harrison. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's painfully... Uh, prolonged, you know, yeah. like no one's allowed to walk faster than a certain pace, and mm-hmm. you're not allowed. No, the people who read are not allowed to read faster than a certain pace. And I, okay, as slow as they're taking everything, I, I, I don't think it's even half as um, uh, solemn. As mm-hmm. one of Father Watkins' masses, exactly, exactly. That's the thing. His his, his mass has that sense of, you know, this is the thing we're here for. It, you know, it, and and these others don't have that sense, right? It, even though they take an hour and a half long, and uh, yeah, it's just ugh. right, right. Okay, so anyway, but the, the bigger point is, yes, his, his masses, had, had we gone to a few of those, perhaps my wife wouldn't have had this crisis of faith. Um, yeah. But, you know, the fact is, we, you know, no priest had been talking about. Now, talking to Father McCaffrey and uh, him giving us a, a good sense of what's going on among the bishops, he's, he said that there are priests who had wanted to talk about contraception and had been told by their bishops, don't talk about that. I don't want the money leaving my diocese. Yes. I mean, to me, this should have been blown open as a scandal back in the 90s, but it wasn't. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, this is scandalous. So, and and, you know, gosh, when you think about what Jesus said about those who cause scandal, uh, every bishop out there should be worried. Um, Yeah. So anyway, pretty much since then, we really haven't heard priests talk about contraception. No. <laughs> Except Nobody for does. once in a while, the priest at, at uh, Holy Rosary downtown Indianapolis would. Uh, that's a place where they do very... They do the Tridentine uh, Mass there, don't Well, they, they do have the Tridentine Mass, but even their, even their Masses in the new form... Uh, are a lot more solemn and traditional. It's it's uh, they try you know try to include chant and Latin and that kind of stuff. So it's it's not quite uh-huh. the full Latin mass at Old St. Mary's, but it's it tends towards that more traditional way. Uh, but but the the one notable exception 
is uh, there was a priest, uh, Father Father Murphy. He was an associate priest at uh, the the St. Maximilian Colby Church that I think Jason is going to now up in Westchester. Yeah. And uh, he since then had been relocated. He had been moved out to... Um, Oh, like uh, what's what's another city at like Middletown or Middleton or something like that? There's Middletown is up Middletown. North. Yeah, Middletown. He had been moved to some church in Middletown, and I never followed up to to find him. And I I actually would like to find him. Um, but he when our very first time going to mass at Saint Maximilian Colby, he was saying mass, and it was you know Saint Maximilian Colby is one of these like like super church type churches yeah and it yeah. feels that way and the way the priest says mass uh, it's almost like the priest isn't saying mass it's more like the way the the production crew produces mass and the priest is just one of the players right but the way they do mass is like that but this particular priest in his sermon to very much to his credit said called out that the use of contraception of artificial contraception in marriages is one of the biggest evils today just yeah. said it and he said it's one of the biggest things that is calling the causing the downfall of the family and marriages in america well okay hearing one sermon that said that could have prevented a lot of you know anguish um on my wife's part early in our marriage um again yeah. it wasn't it, it wasn't that she had a hard time accepting the church's teaching she full-heartedly accepted it but it's like why doesn't anyone else Right. So now, um, you know, that's that's just an example of, uh, you know, kind of the ongoing crisis of the American bishops. And who knows? Maybe the bishops around the world. I don't know. I I can only speak to America. But the American bishops just not having the courage to say what needs to be said. They're going to take the safe path. They're going to take the path that doesn't cause the money to walk. They're going to take the path that doesn't cause their, I don't know, the, the Catholic numbers. Do they get some kind of pat on the back from the Pope if their Catholic numbers are up or something? I you don't know, think so because the, the church has been shrinking but, steadily for a yeah, long well, time now. Well, they act like they, you know, that's the thing. They, they go so safe. They act like they're going to get something for these numbers and and in doing so they lose the numbers yeah so i don't know that's so that's that's my uh frustrating that's my take so far on on uh things out of the uh the meeting last week of the usccb yeah i don't Um, think you'll get much more out of it (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean it, well it's over that's you know what what it is is what it is it's a sign of what's going on and that's all there is to it yeah yeah so okay. we'll see in other news mm-hmm. Stan Lee died it's, yeah uh, you know I Marvel you know, Comics Stan Lee he's the creator of Spider-Man Spider-Man right? yeah all, okay. and a whole bunch of uh, uh, comics he, he, he especially I never read the old comics, no, but, but, you know, he was, uh, I, I think he, he liked heroes and villains with, uh, alliteration. Yeah. I never read comic books, so, so I don't, it's not a big deal to me, but, uh, most of my knowledge, it's a big deal for some people. Most of my knowledge of Stan Lee is either, uh, from my kids talking about him because they got into, you know, comics as a collector's thing for a little while. 
Uh-huh. Or from when they talk about him on the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Um... The... California. Yeah. 76... It's the deadliest wire dead fire. so far. Is 76 discovered is? dead so far. That's the current number. No. And then there's... No. Is Four, it uh, Well, I took uh, Pulse at, like, the beginning of this week, and it was 42 confirmed dead, yep. 228 missing. It, yeah. Oh, you said Later 76. Later in the week, 76 uh, confirmed 76. dead. 76, okay. And at one time during the week, I don't know if it, where, where the number stands now, but at one time during the week, it was up to 1,000 unaccounted uh, people. Wow. Yeah. I think the so. Wall Street Journal had a uh, had an article about the fact that uh, Trump is right on the money on this when he talks about the fact that they're so mismanaged and that's why these wildfires mm-hmm. are so bad. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, Trump, I mean, he made a statement of, you know, talking to uh, some of the uh, the. Um, wildlife managers and what was the other there was a particular country that he had referred to um and he said that they you know hey they they go out and they manage their forests and they he used here's the thing he used the word rake you know they rake the ground yeah you know kind of creating this impression oh if everybody goes out and rakes the ground a little bit that's that's going to stop forest fires but he really wasn't saying that no the the point is he was saying that that going out if you're going to not allow the fires to you know if you're not going to allow controlled burns in order to use up the biomass that becomes fuel for these big fires if you're not going to use it up in controlled burns you have to go get it out of the woods and and get rid of it somehow because that's what allows the fires to become these massive events and that's what he was saying in this other country they said yeah we do that we 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 take our our money that's one of the things we do spend tax money on and we go out and we make sure that you know that that we're not going to have this problem and and that's what trump was saying he's saying hey there's ways to do it here's the way this other country does it we can do the same thing there's a lot of things we could do one of them Um, is uh harvesting the trees that's true. That's true. Then or, the fire know, wouldn't destroy them. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we wouldn't have to depopulate the forest. Right. To harvest. We wouldn't have to deforest the area. You do it in treks. Yeah. Or so that you've got sections blocked off. And well, okay, we're not going to cut this section, but uh, we can create a space between these two large forests. Well, you could do that. That would be one thing. But even within the large forests, I mean, you can... Uh, you thin it out a little bit. You could thin it, exactly. You could say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, the fallen trees, if we can find recently fallen trees, maybe we can actually get some good wood out of those. But uh, other than that, you know, we can take one in every 50 trees from this area and select which ones or whatever it is. But the thing is... Um, yeah, allowing a certain amount of harvesting with, you know, responsible oversight and working to uh, clear some of the, the biofuel that, that fuels these fires. Yes, it's work. Yes, it takes money. Uh, but, you know, given the amount of uh, damage these fires are causing, seems to me like it would be money well spent. Yeah, but it's California. 
It is California. All right. Uh, CNN. Well, yeah. Jim Acosta was oh, kicked out of gosh, the White his, House. For being a, a jerk over and over again. Yeah. and But it's I, I don't understand. There's a federal judge out of the blue says you have to let him in the White House. Yeah, like... I mean, what if I wanted to go to the White House? I have a podcast, therefore I'm a journalist. You're part of the press, that's right. That's right. They didn't even kick out CNN, just him. Just him, just that one guy, right. It's not like they... And it's not like they got rid of... Insane. It is, it is. It's, It's absolutely insane. You know, if I were Trump, I would just say, all right, he can come, and then not show up for the press briefing and <laughs> right. tell, you know, what's her name? No, just don't go or just stand there and don't say anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. what I would do. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see what he does. I'm All sure right. it's not going to sit at that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there'll, there'll be more to come. Something will happen. We'll see. Uh, let's see. Uh, NASA discovered a, they call it a super earth exoplanet. Okay, um, ex- exoplanet is a planet uh, circling a star outside, uh, other than our sun, right? Right. Uh, Bernard Star, specifically. I don't know where that is. It's the fourth nearest known individual star to the sun. Oh, okay. Uh, they And so it's a super, it's like five times the, great, the uh, mass of Earth. But it's a solid planet. Most big planets are gas. This one's a, a solid planet. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of neat. <laughs> okay, so Earth, a super-Earth exoplanet spotted around nearby Bernard's star. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, we would never be able to be on that planet because we'd be crushed. But uh, Well, not only that, it, apparently it's a uh, frigid alien. It says it's frigid, about... Three to three point two times more massive than Earth, and Barnard's star is a red dwarf. Oh, I didn't know. So I guess I guess a red dwarf means it's already gone through its red giant stage. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, cold, but right. but it's cool. If but there could be internal heat. Oh yeah. Which is what happens with some of the moons close to, like, Jupiter and Saturn. Mm-hmm. So, there could be something going on there. Right. I don't know. Right. All right. Uh, Bernie Sanders proposes the Stop Walmart Act. Hold on. Minnie, stop! The Stop start over. Walmart. Okay. Uh, Bernie, Sanders. Bernie Sanders proposes the Stop Walmart Act. And and what is the, I had I haven't read about this one. This would prohibit big employers like Walmart from repurchasing shares unless they adopt a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. From repurchasing shares from whom? But their own shares. So a large company would want to maintain control over their own company, so they repurchase shares. Well, a CEO. 
would want to own as many shares as he could. Okay, so he but couldn't... he can't buy shares because he's an employee until the company adopts a fifteen an hour minimum wage. So is this something? The whole thing is stupid. It is stupid. Is it, is it something he proposes would only apply to officers of the corporations? Yeah, I, you know what? Uh, I don't know. Because then, like an employee of Walmart, like if I'm a checkout, sometimes clerk, I might they, that's buy part Walmart of their. Uh, sometimes that's part of their pay. Yeah, they get uh, what do they call they that? Paying stocks, when, or they get options. Yeah, stock options. Yeah, stock yeah. options, things like mm-hmm. that. Right. I, I don't know. Oh, well. I might be reading it wrong, but. <clears throat> I, He's just stupid. This wouldn't be the first time that he uh, showed himself to be a kook. I, between him and uh, Acosta, not Acosta, uh, who's the girl in New York, or was it New Jersey? Acustia. Oh, the uh, the other socialist? Yeah. The, the uh, one that was know. saying no, just... no company should be allowed to, to make more than a billion dollars without being taken over by the government or something like that. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm simplifying, somewhat pejoratively simplifying her, her uh, proposal, but it was something along those lines. It's just silly. And it's, I mean, they show how little they know about, yeah. uh, about business, about mm-hmm finance and uh about america really yeah 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 so uh oh the ice storm that hit uh the whole eastern side here it looks like eight people died oh wow i didn't know people died from it yeah i don't know how they died so did this did this like collect uh I don't want to say collect power because, like, like when you talk about a tropical storm, you can talk about it collecting energy a- as it moves along, and, and you know, yeah. But um, did did this get worse as as it went eastward and progressed? Because it's the same storm that hit no us idea. and you. Yeah, but ours was a lot worse than it was you. Yeah, yeah. And now, I wait a minute. I went I, to Indianapolis that day. You guys well, didn't get hardly anything. Well, that's what I was saying. I mean, I went out. There was a eighth inch of, of ice crusted on my car, and I got in it, and I, I drove slowly through the neighborhood, and then I drove to work, and that was it. So now, two hours away, we got nothing almost. Now, there there and... were power outages. There were a few lines that were taken down in some of the older areas where they have a lot of overhead lines and stuff like that. Nothing like Cincinnati. I went on the maps, the, the IPL uh, yeah. map for Indianapolis versus Duke Energy map for Cincinnati. And it was like, I don't know, it seemed like hundreds of times as many outage areas in Cincinnati as there were in Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't, I, I I don't know. And I I mean, was it worse east of us? I guess it was. Yeah. I mean, we got, we got, we didn't, we didn't get hit that hard, Mm -hmm. but it was enough to put the power out throughout a lot of parts of the city. Yeah, but I think east of us it was even worse. It must have been losing energy as it progressed east or west. Mm-hmm. Well, Is that no, which it, way it traveled? No, went west to east to hit us before you. Really? Yes. In fact, it actually that 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 same storm system I think actually dropped a little bit of snow. Get this in Oklahoma before heading huh. up here. Okay. Well. uh 
I don't know what I, I don't know what happened there. I just know so I, I think two it, hours difference. Yeah, made a huge. Uh, there was a change. It, it, I think it picked up violence or picked up moisture or something as it went eastward and was causing more havoc. I guess so. Hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, Andrew Gillum finally conceded to uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida. In Florida, yep, yep, yeah. finally. So that's finally <laughs> over with. I, I think there are a couple other recounts still going on, but uh, hopefully the right thing happens. Yeah. And that's all I got. Yep, I think that's about it. I mean, you know, our big, uh, our big current events topic was <laughs> was in yeah. right here in the church. So yeah, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> but that's uh, hopefully uh, hopefully Florida gets their uh, election process figured out. They they seem to consistently, I, you know, I, they they were the I ones. I think this is all about. Gore 2020. Bush. Oh, yeah, could be. I think this is all about trying to figure out how to steal the votes in 2020 when oh. we re-elect Trump. So they're saying, okay, let's let's try to come up with come up with some trials systems now. to do this, and let's go ahead and and try them now, and you know, if learn, we our, can learn get from our it, mistakes. If we can get it to a hand count. Mm-hmm. And we can make sure it becomes a hand count, which is when they can actually mess with the votes. Right. Uh, then we can, no matter what happens in 2020, Florida will be a blue state. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. I guess we'll see what happens. Yep. All right. Well. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening. I think that's a wrap. Uh, Think about what we said, and we'll talk to you next week here on a podcast about Catholic things. Bye, everyone.